Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 146 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about the stiff shoulder. Now, I don't only want to talk about treating the stiff shoulder, but I want to talk about how you recognize it, when it's a problem early on, and how to address it. I want to talk about some of the predisposing factors for shoulder stiffness, and I want to also focus on post-operative shoulder stiffness and how to manage it as a therapist uh, after somebody has had surgery. You know, how do you progress with these? Uh, Why do certain people not uh, gain motion as quickly as others? And uh, all of those topics. But before we do that, I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. Do you experience leg and foot fatigue when standing for long periods of time? A main doctor and the company he founded, Mainly Technology Group, have created a high-tech, all-terrain, chemical-free sock designed to reduce fatigue. The Easy Glider Sock has a graduated compression weave to keep blood flowing and to keep you energized. Created by Dr. Lee Thibodeau, the Easy Glider is also frictionless, lightweight, warm, extremely durable, and wicks away moisture. The socks will stay fresh for days, thanks to the organic antimicrobial agent, Kytosan. Easy Glider is the only sock you'll ever need for sports, work, and leisure. To find out more, visit EasyGliderSocks.com. That's EasyGliderSocks.com. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit EasySlant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first Easy Slant. Welcome back, everyone. So um, I just thought I'd do something a little bit different today. I uh, thought I would do this podcast outdoors. So if you hear some birds chirping and uh, some bees buzzing, maybe a little water boiling in the background, I have some string beans that I just picked in the garden cooking uh, on the grill. And uh, it'll be a little different, but uh, hopefully it will not rain and uh, all will go well. Um, I want to do a shout out today to Christine, who is a physical therapist from North Carolina, who brought up a very interesting scenario. She says to me and sent me an email and says, I work in a clinic of over 20 orthopedic surgeons. And one of them told me that my post-op rotator cuffs are a bit stiff. Now, she says, you know, research shows that early post-operative range of motion is not necessarily an indicator of what kind of range of motion they'll have in one year. So she's asking for advice on how to gain range of motion maybe a little bit faster after rotator cuff repairs. So Christy, thank you so much for uh, sending this to me. Uh, I think this is a great topic. Uh, This is a super common problem for many people, not only patients, but therapists and orthopedic surgeons. And it's a very, very frustrating problem for PTs, OTs, and orthopedic doctors. Now, Why it's so frustrating, we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, But let's start off, first of all, with some predisposing factors. There are some people who will be stiffer than others after surgery. All right, that's inevitable. Not everybody will will respond the same way postoperatively. And there are so many factors. One of them, you know, I look at I look at people who are at risk of adhesive capsulitis. 
like uncontrolled diabetics, uh, people going through menopause, um, people who have Dupuytren's contractures seem to have a higher incidence of adhesive capsulitis and joint stiffness. People with thyroid issues are also at higher risk of developing joint stiffness. Um, and I don't have research to back all this up, um, but from experience, this is something that is super, super common. And there are also some people who just do not have full shoulder range of motion. It's incredible. You're, you're working with them and you, you get to the six to eight week mark and you're, you're at 130 to 140 degrees of shoulder flexion and they're just not gaining and you feel like you're hitting a bony block and, and you may just be doing that. Check the other side. I had a gentleman who had about 140 degrees of flexion and there was a hard endpoint on both sides, not just the surgical side, but the non-surgical side. So that was his range of motion prior to surgery. And that's always something that is good to know. It's always good to know um, what the patient was able to achieve intraoperatively in regards to range of motion, because sometimes those people will not be able to gain that full range anyway. Um, Next thing I want to talk about are post-operative protocols. Now, this is super frustrating for physical therapists and occupational therapists, and there's a reason for that. You can see five different post-op rotator cuff patients, and they will all come in with five different protocols. Now, not just because they may have had a different type of surgery for a different type of injury, but many different physicians have different protocols. That's just the way they like to have things done. Um, and you need to respect that. And so you need to, you know, kind of abide by these protocols. And we had one surgeon uh, one time who the post-op protocol was to flex the patient's shoulder to 180 degrees passively just hours after having the repair and to do that daily for two weeks. And then we have others who refer patients to physical therapy and occupational therapy eight weeks after surgery. All right. Um, and a lot of these people end up with a very painful and stiff shoulder um, that can be somewhat adhered and somewhat difficult to treat at that point. But all physicians have, have a different way they want this treated. You need to follow their protocols, and sometimes that can be a, a little bit frustrating, but that's okay. All right. One of the things we need to remember is that um, we need to recognize certain issues, okay? And I do understand um, that there are orthopedic surgeons out there who would prefer to be a little more conservative and, you know, maintain good integrity of the rotator cuff, but not damage it and deal with stiffness later. And I happen to be a little more conservative with my rotator cuffs, but I also want to make sure that I am progressive, Okay, um, we have we have, have seen, you know, a couple uh, surgeons be a little more conservative because maybe they had a bad experience with a, a therapist who might have uh, injured a patient's rotator cuff after having had surgery. And that is understandable. Okay, but this is how you deal with these frustrations as a physical therapist and an orthopedic surgeon. Number one, you need to communicate. The therapist and the surgeon need to be able to communicate easily. Okay, and as a therapist, you need to know your anatomy. And I'm serious about this. When you're in gross anatomy as a student, you need to push it as hard as you can to understand what muscles do, what actions they have, what innervates them, what stresses them, what strains them. And you need to understand that very well. You need to know what was repaired, 
and how severely that tissue was damaged prior to surgery because those are factors. And as a surgeon, you need to relay this intraoperative information to the therapist because if you if you refer a patient to therapy and the order says or the referral says rotator cuff repair, PT evaluate and treat or OT evaluate and treat, we can't just assume that the repair was a repair of the supra and infraspinatus, which is the most common uh, tear of the rotator cuff, um, because if somebody came in with a, a subscapularis tear and we start stretching into external rotation, we're going to damage that tissue. So I make it a point to get an operative report uh, when people come in with rotator cuff repairs because of all the post-operative things that we see. I find that treating rotator cuff tears is is something that you need to be a little bit more delicate with. Uh, it's It's can be pretty easy to re-tear a rotator cuff repair. So you need to be cautious, um, but you need to understand the structures, and uh, that is very, very important. So we, and when I say we, I mean therapists, we need to know the structures, and we need to know what strains those structures with passive stretch and with active contraction. Okay, so you know that uh, flexing and abducting the shoulder will cause a strain to the supraspinatus muscle and if that was repaired that will put a lot of stress on it okay uh, and so you need to think about it that way when you are treating patients after surgery so just that alone just knowing the structures getting that operative report understanding what was torn the severity of the tear um, will really help in decreasing um, injury to that patient and give you a much better outcome with those post-op rotator cuff patients. Other things you need to consider are age of the patient, tissue integrity, patient compliance, which is huge. That is super, super important, okay? Um, Patients need to be able to do their home exercises. They need to do them compliantly. And I'm adamant that they get them in two, three, sometimes four times a day. Um, you need to understand if the tear was a small tear or, you know, was it just a, a one muscle tear or was it a massive tear of all four muscles of the rotator cuff? Um, and, you know, are there other concomitant injuries such as labral tears, bicep tears? Is there an acromial morphology where a, a decompression was performed? Is there arthritis in the AC joint, which is also a contributing factor when it comes to pain and loss of motion? So... Okay, let's get back to our topic. Um, You know, how should you progress range of motion and when following rotator cuff repairs? Now, there is no template for this. And and unfortunately, young therapists and and people coming out of school who see rotator cuff repairs are, are very tied to the protocol. And I think that that is fine and it's a guide but you need to make sure that you don't fall into some complications like early stiffness and early loss of motion or maybe a regression in motion, which would not be good. You should see this nice, steady improvement in passive range of motion. I personally like to start rotator cuff patients, doesn't matter what the size is, um, after two weeks post-op. And that is because I very clearly think of the tissues that were damaged and work on all the other structures um, to start to work on gaining that range of motion, getting a little bit of mobility in there, getting some blood flow going to the shoulder, um, getting the surrounding scapular muscles to activate and work, make sure they don't develop a cervical spine problem. Um, and so I and I also 
make it a point to gain elbow range of motion, hand and wrist and finger range of motion, and, and strengthen the hand and fingers um, pretty early on. So, you know, passive flexion is safe. So I want to throw this out here. Passive flexion is safe, but the pain should not be too severe when you are passively flexing them. Now, we do know that the cuff does not get strained very hard in passive flexion, um, but if there's a lot of pain associated with it, that will cause a lot of surrounding spasm in the shoulder, and that can hinder range of motion. Um, plus, your patient's going to hate you because it's going to be so painful, and they won't be able to sleep at night. Um, but if there is no subscapularis involvement, I find that achieving external rotation will give you better shoulder flexion. So I've always found that if you can gain external rotation, the flexion will come along nicely, okay? I don't push the, through these too, too hard. Um, I did look at a recent study where they did some uh, EMG studies to the to the shoulder musculature, and they had people try to take a sling off and put a sling on and do different activities like take off a shirt and put a shirt back on and to see which activities really increased rotator cuff activity after a repair and one of the things that they found was that if you are doing pulley exercises like overhead pulley exercises when you do it in the plane of the scapula it actually activates the rotator cuff more than if you do it straight up in front of you and we would think well typically that would cause more impingement but we don't worry too much about impingement with slow range of motion and low load long duration stretches you'll see impingement more with people who do repetitive cross body and overhead activities so you know i don't worry too much about impingement with post-op rotator cuff patients um, so i do work on that flexion i give them a set of pulleys they start using it at home and um we we go at that gently and they gain it nice and easy um so i also like um Full passive range of motion by 8 to 10 weeks. That's kind of a goal of mine for most people. I like to have full active flexion and really as close to full active range of motion throughout by 12 weeks. And then you can start working on gaining some strength. Although I like to do isometrics in very limited ranges with very, very minimal pressure very early on. Um, but that is something that um, I will leave for another time because I really want to focus on the, um, you know, gaining the range of motion. The other thing I like to do is low load, long duration stretching. Now in the past, and I'll be the first to admit that I used to push people pretty aggressively to try to gain range of motion just to find that they would have a lot of pain, a lot of associated spasm, and it would kind of defeat the purpose. So I really focus on low load, long duration stretches. I like to do a lot of this manually. I find the patient has a lot of comfort with that. Um, it gives you a chance to um, get the patient to relax certain areas when they do it. But it's important that they also do these low load, long duration stretches at home. Um, and in the show notes, I will have a link to a video of how I love to do external rotation with a low load, long duration stretch and TheraBand. Very hard to explain on the podcast, but uh, make sure you click on the link. Check that video out. I love that stretch. And um, once you start to gain that, you start to gain better flexion. I also like to do manual joint mobilizations, especially inferior glides and sometimes some PA glides to uh, help achieve better range of motion. Also get some blood flow going to that joint. Um, I love to distract the shoulder in the plane of the scapula. So I 
always start with that. I kind of do a little rhythmic rocking to the arm and to the shoulder and um, get the patient to relax a little bit. We know that uh, when we all went through neuro in school, that inhibitive rocking is very beneficial in getting people to relax. So I like to do that. I just kind of rock the arm, shake it a little bit back and forth. I give a little distraction. Most people find that very, very relieving, especially after doing a stretch. Something I I also like to do is brachiating. Now, what is brachiating? Um, We have a pull-up bar in our uh, fitness center. So we take people over there. We put a step in front of it so they can step up onto that step. And then we passively lift the arm and have them grab a hold of the bar. Now, we have them grab a hold with both arms. And what they do is they then squat And as they're squatting, the shoulder goes up into flexion. So not only do you get some flexion to the shoulder, but you get some distraction of that glenohumeral joint. And this is a great way to gain flexion. Now, there's been a lot of controversy about this exercise. People think that it causes impingement and it causes all kinds of problems. I've been treating patients for over 28 years now. I've never had a failed rotator cuff in therapy. Um, this is something that we, we really have good results with. So I brachiate with a lot of our patients, especially if they're just not gaining that motion nicely. Um, I do this with almost all of our adhesive capsulitis patients also. So something to, um, to keep in mind. I don't have a video on brachiating, but I do have a webinar on treating adhesive capsulitis. I'll also add that um, to the list of links in the show notes today. Um, But it's important when you are doing the brachiation and if you are having them hold for, let's say, 30 seconds, that they don't just let go of the bar and let the arm drop so that they have an eccentric load to that arm. Um, I make sure they use the other hand to let the arm down or I help them let that arm down. Um, and, And as they get a little bit better and they can actively reach, then they'll go ahead and reach for the bar themselves. The other thing that I find quite helpful is rolling out the latissimus and the teres major muscles. Remember, the lats and the teres are extensors of the arm. And when they've been immobilized for a long time, they get shortened. And as a result, as you try to flex the shoulder forward, those lats and teres are holding you back. So doing a little bit of soft tissue work around the lats and uh, teres major can be really helpful in releasing that shoulder to allow it to flex a little bit better. And then the patient has to be diligent with a home exercise program. They need to work on that on a regular basis. The key is low load, long duration stretching and consistency. I always tell my patients, doing 20 repetitions of a certain exercise in the morning, thinking you're good for the whole day, is not as good as doing five repetitions four times a day and breaking it up. Um, They will gain their motion a little bit faster, and then they're doing a little something that, um, you know, makes them accountable for for what they're doing, and they're not just, you know, Uh, hoping that physical therapy will magically make them better um, coming to therapy three times a week. So that is super important. Now, the last thing, I know this has been a little bit longer uh, podcast than usual, but I also want to add to this that we started in our clinic doing something called a three-day post-op visit after rotator cuff repairs. And I'm going to explain how we do this to you. And the reason I'm going to explain this is because we have great results with this. 
and patients do really, really well. Now you think about it, total knees and total hips, they, they have surgery, they have a therapist help them soon after surgery, they may have home care and have therapy, then they may, uh, they may be in a skilled setting and they have therapy, and then they go to outpatient therapy, and again, they're guided some more. Well, when people have rotator cuff repairs, they're placed in a sling, um, they're given some exercises or things you can and can't do, and they go home with that. They'll go home and a week later have a follow-up visit, but then they may be three, four, five, and I've seen up to six weeks before they see anybody else after that. And they're typically uncomfortable. Maybe the sling is not fitting just right. They're not sleeping very well. Maybe they're having a lot of pain. I'm on vacation. I just received a, um, a text uh, from a friend who had his rotator cuff repaired uh, about a week and a half to two weeks ago. And he says, my wrist and my hand are killing me. And we simply had him adjust his sling a little bit and he had immediate relief of his pain. Um, so what we do is on the third day after surgery, we have them come into our office. We do a sling adjustment. We talk to them about the do's and don'ts and uh, we just answer their questions and I will tell you, these people, they sleep better. They feel much more comfortable. They have much less pain. And when they are ready to come and start therapy on a more formal basis, then they come in and they're ready to go. Um, they don't come in miserable after six weeks because their sling was just not you know, fitting correctly or um, they were doing a pendulum exercise the wrong way or maybe not changing their shirt the right way. Um, I've seen people not get out of the sling for six weeks. I mean, totally not get out of the sling and come in with, with, you know, ulceration and maceration underneath the armpit and uh, infection and problems like that. So this three-day post-op uh, visit is something we love to do. I did do a podcast on this in the past. So if you want to get more of the specifics, I will leave that in the show notes also. But just a little recap for today. Not all patients respond the same way after rotator cuff repair. I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these patients and not all of them respond the same way. Not all protocols are created equal. Remember that. Communication between the therapist and the surgeon is probably the most important factor in regards to good response after a rotator cuff repair. And it doesn't mean you need to have a phone call between the two of you each time. It's an understanding that, can I get your, your operative um, note so that I could take a look at that before I see the patient. Or, um, you know, I'm in at four weeks now, and this patient only has 45 degrees of flexion, and they are very, very stiff and very, very painful. Would you like us to push through that? Or, you know, and have some communication on how to progress from there. But you need to recognize lack of improvement, okay? And recognize complications. And that's when you have those conversations. And you should be able to have that freely between yourself and uh, and an orthopedic surgeon. Um, so I know this was a little bit longer show than usual. I thank you all for listening uh, to OrthoEvalPal. I really appreciate this. And, um, you know, please share this information with your colleagues. I know there are a lot of PT students out there, young therapists, um, and even seasoned therapists who we've been communicating with, um, just like uh, the young lady who, uh, you know, Christy, who sent me the question. She's been in therapy for 10 years. She's super passionate about what she does, and I really appreciate that passion. Um, so make sure you share this information with your, uh, with your colleagues, and be sure to check out the links in the show notes. I have a lot of information there for you, and um, I hope that OrthoEvalPal can help, help you feel more confident with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. I hope you all have a great day. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com.
Can't wait to see you there.